Christmas, I've got a very special treat for some of you, and we've got some notices this morning. There's Deborah. Thank you. It's just seven sleeps to Christingle, so I'm very excited. Um, and so I'm just here to remind you that if you haven't already picked up your box, either ready-made or flat pack, to um, just raid your house, your pockets, for all those bits of loose change, odd 50-pound notes lying around that you just don't know what to do with. Pop them in a box, bring them back next Sunday morning. Um, so as part of our worship, we're collecting for the Children's Society. Chris Stingle is a fantastic service to bring your friends, your relations, your neighbours, people who wouldn't normally come to church. It's a very kind of um, accessible service. There are oranges, there's bits of ribbon, there are sweets, cocktail sticks, naked flames, what's not to love. Um, we'll also be singing some carols that will be very familiar, so it should be a very non-threatening kind of environment to bring people to. Talking of carols, if you'd like to get uh, your voices in trim, then if, uh, we'll be leaving the car park at 6 o'clock on Wednesday to go and sing in the roads around the church, so please do come and join us. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. That's brilliant. So I hope you're getting stocked up for Christmas with all the food and drink and everything else that you need. Uh, we're getting ready. It's not long at all now, but this morning our thoughts turn to God and preparing for the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are God's gifts to us this Christmas time through his Son. So can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together, the kingdom of God is justice and joy. Do please sit down. Let's pray. God, we thank you for welcoming us into your kingdom. Thank you for your patience with us, your acceptance of us. Thank you that you never give up on us. And we thank you too for those who over years past have prayed that we might come into your kingdom. You knew the right time for us. Looking back, we recognise that you knew what lay round the corner for us then, and we thank you that you know what lies ahead now. And thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the sense of excitement that we can capture as we approach Christmas. But we thank you above all for your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord 
Messiah, Saviour. And we thank you for the peace that knowing him gives to us. Thank you that when you reign over our lives, you bring order, you bring light, you bring love. You fill us with the, your righteousness, your peace, and the joy of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that these are your gifts to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, this Christmas time. Amen. I invite Claire and Janet to come and light our two Advent candles this morning. Last Sunday we lit the first candle, the candle of love. Today we light the second candle, the candle of peace. And we light it knowing full well that peace is elusive, and in some parts of the world it's almost completely absent. Yet in this season of Advent we trust that God is never absent from us. God is always preparing something new. And even when there is war and discord, whether between countries, within families, or within our own hearts, God is present, gently leading us to new possibilities. And so we say together, loving God, in this time of preparation and planning, we thank you for the love and peace you unfailingly offer us. Magnify your love within us. Teach us the peace that comes from justice. Prepare our hearts to be transformed by you, that we may walk in the light of Christ. Amen. reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, reading verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's stand and sing, look to the skies, there's a celebration. Look to the skies, there's a celebration. Lift up your heads, join the angel song.
Lord, we welcome you, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace. May we know your presence filling this place, filling our hearts as we stay here, and as young people and children go upstairs, may they know your presence with them in BRBK as well. Give them your peace, your joy, your righteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're staying, please sit down. If you're not, please go. What does good government look like? None of that question's crossed your mind at all in recent weeks. We get a glimpse of what it might look like uh, from the prayer for the king in Psalm 72. Uh, and as we read this psalm and we hear of the, of the, pre- the, the, the desire, the longing for the king of Israel, the vision of what the, the, the ultimate, absolute, uh, perfect king will be like, we can make this a prayer as well for our own nation and government. Psalm 72, verses 1 to 7. O oh God, grant the king the ability to make just decisions. Grant the king's son the ability to make fair decisions. Then he will judge your people fairly and your oppressed ones equitably. The mountains will bring news of peace to the people and the hills will announce justice. He will defend the oppressed among the people. He will deliver the children of the poor and crush the oppressor. People will fear you as long as the sun and moon remain in the sky for generation after generation. He will descend like rain on the mown grass, like showers that drench the earth. During his days, the godly will flourish and peace will prevail as long as the moon remains in the sky. We're going to bring our prayers of concern to God and there's a response to the prayer when I say eternal God can I invite you to say together may they find in you love, peace and hope for the future. So let's pray. Eternal God, in a world of turmoil and instability, you are steadfast and reliable. And we pray for those across the world who've never glimpsed that truth, who've never had a life-changing experience of you, who've never heard the, the good news of Advent and Christmas and what this season is really all about. Eternal God, may they find in you love, peace, and hope for the future. And we pray for those in war-torn countries seeking deeper into despair, where lives are fractured, Bodies hungry, damaged, injured without medical support or supplies, where infrastructure and homes have been destroyed. We pray particularly this morning for the people of Gaza. We also pray for those living in the West Bank. We remember those seeking to come to terms with the trauma of the Hamas attack into Israel in October. We continue to pray for Ukraine. And we lift to you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, all those whose lives have been torn apart and destroyed by war. 
and we, don't, we can't see a solution or an answer. But we turn to you and we pray, eternal God, may they find in you love and peace and hope for the future. And today the Centre for Social Justice has issued its report on the state of poverty in our land, speaking of stagnant wages, <coughs> family breakdown, poor housing, crime, issues with mental health. And of how so many people in poverty are trapped in these circumstances. Lord, we pray for our government as they look to address issues of education, employment, debt and the cost of living, addiction, family breakdown. Help our leaders, we pray, to recognise the seriousness of these issues and would you guide them in setting their priorities and the course they take. We pray for healing and deliverance for those whose lives have been broken by forces over which they have no control. We pray for those who fear and dread Christmas because of the debts that they find it difficult to avoid incurring, the family pressures and arguments that are a feature of people coming together. And Lord, your message is so easily drowned out by the tinsel and the fairy lights, the music and the commercialism, but we pray that your message of salvation and hope and peace and love in Christ might be heard. May your good news be heard in the midst of so much bad news. And this year we pray that the significance of a babe born in the stable might touch lives and change lives for the first time. And so eternal God, may they find in you love peace and hope for the future. We pray for those who bear the burden of illness and pain, whether that's physical or mental or emotional pain. For those who can't get the treatment or the medication that they need. For those whose pain just seems to get deeper and darker each passing day. For those at home who need care and can't get it. For those stuck in hospital because there's no safe and caring place for them to move to. For those who near the end of life and are fearful especially those without family and friends to support them. Eternal God, may they find in you love, peace and hope for the future. And we pray for those whose sense of loneliness as, is reinforced as they see other people around them preparing for Christmas. We lift to you those whose families are far away, those whose families don't care, those who don't have a family and who don't find it easy to make friends. Bring across their path, we pray, those who will greet them with a smile, a word of comfort, an expression of love, something or someone who will give them hope. Draw close to them, we pray, through your people to give them a sense of the place they have 
in your heart. And may we extend to all people the welcome and the love that's in your heart for them. Eternal God, may they find in you love, peace and hope for the future. And for ourselves as we prepare for this most holy time, help us to put together the pieces of our lives that make us who we are. Help us to face each new day trusting in your promises, trusting you for the future, trusting you for your presence and your grace. May we find your love, your peace, your joy, your hope coming to us in and through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and we'll sing together the Advent hymn, Hail to the Lord's Anointed, Great David's Greater Son.
You have been merciful to your land. You have made Israel prosperous again. You have forgiven your people's sins and pardoned all their wrongs. You stopped being angry with them and held back your furious rage. Bring us back, O oh God our Saviour, and stop being displeased with us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will your anger never cease? Make us strong again, and we, your people, will praise you. Show us your constant love, O oh Lord, and give us your saving help. I am listening to what the Lord God is saying. He promises peace to us, his own people. If we do not go back to our foolish ways, surely he is ready to save those who honour him, and his saving presence will remain in our land. Love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will embrace. Man's loyalty will reach up from the earth. And God's righteousness will look down from heaven. The Lord will make us prosperous and our land will produce rich harvests. Righteousness will go before the Lord and prepare the path for him. Advent. It's the season of preparation. As the pressure ramps up on us to get ready for Christmas... Advent reminds us of the more important task of preparing the way for the Lord. And God comes to us in Christ. But it's all too easy for us to be busy and preoccupied with other matters, so much so that we miss his approach. But he comes bringing everything we really need for our well-being, life, joy, unfailing love, salvation, glory, faithfulness, righteousness, goodness, peace. All those qualities feature in Psalm 85 as gifts which God gives to his people. And in the middle of the psalm, the composer says he's going to stop and listen to what God has to say. And the word that comes to him is peace. That's what God promises to his people. Peace is God's gift to us through his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who was born to be Prince of Peace. And this is a peace which embraces justice and righteousness. The, the three belong together. It's not a false, shallow sense of well-being that I can enjoy at somebody else's expense. I feel peaceful. It doesn't matter what happens to you. It's a peace based upon what is good and right and just. Not just for me, but for you and everybody else as well. And what does this peace entail? Well, let the commentators spell it out for us. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And shalom is the comprehensive concept of well-being, peace and welfare, which includes love, faithfulness, righteousness, prosperity and glory. It's well-being that exists in the very midst of threats from sword and drought and from wild animals. It's well-being of a material, physical, historical kind. It's not idyllic pie in the sky, but salvation in the midst of trees and crops and enemies, in the very places where people always have to cope with anxiety, struggle for survival and deal with temptation. It's well-being of a very personal kind. But it's also deliberately corporate. If there is to be well-being, it will not just be for isolated, insulated individuals. 
It's rather security and prosperity granted to a whole community, young and old, rich and poor, powerful and dependent. Always we are all in it together. The word shalom, peace, salvation, must be heard in its comprehensive sense. It refers to an event that brings to the people as a whole and to every individual everything they all need in order to be content, happy and whole, and in such fullness that all have enough and they will never again return to the foolishness of their sin and their falling away from God. Content. Happy, whole. It's a good place to be. Good things to feel in God's presence. Yet there can be times when that sense of well-being eludes us. There are times when we feel like we're, 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 in, we're, we're in a good place with God and everything is great and we have that sense of peace. Other times, that subjective sense of well-being disappears and that can be deeply unsettling. And if you find yourself in that place of discomfort this morning, then Psalm 85 is the psalm for you. Because it's about turning back to God, recovering lost peace. And we discover that as, as we look at the five references to turning that we find in this psalm. At the beginning of the psalm, the composer looks back to see how God turned things around in the past. You restored the fortunes of Jacob, he says in verse 1. You restored the well-being of your people. The authorised version suggests there's a reference here to God um, turning things around and bringing his people back from captivity. You turned everything round for us, he says. Whatever sins might have been committed in the past, there was that assurance that God had dealt with them once and for all. They'd been blotted out and erased from his ledger so that no record of them remained. Whatever guilt was attached to them, God had taken that guilt upon himself and had forgiven them. They were free to go. It's one of the great metaphors of forgiveness in the Bible. Your sin shall be upon your heads, it says, is a word of judgment. But sometimes God takes our iniquity upon himself and releases us and lets us go. God takes the blame. God takes the guilt. God takes the iniquity upon himself. That's what Jesus did on the cross and he releases us from this. Whatever anger or displeasure their behaviour provoked, God had turned away from that. And there's the second reference to turning. God has turned away from his anger and now regards his people with favour and with grace. So God, you turned things around for us, you brought us back and you turned away from your anger. There was such a strong sense of being in God's good books and that was then. But in verse 4, suddenly unpredictably the mood changes and that was reflected in the two readers who began the psalm no longer do we find a celebration of the way in which God has turned from his anger and turned their situation around for good that subjective sense of well-being is evaporated something is seriously wrong and instead of basking in the warmth of God's love and celebrating God's grace we find a renewed plea that God would restore them again that he would put away his displeasure towards them. There was a palpable fear that God is just perpetually angry with them, that they're in his bad books. Why that should be the case and what they may have done isn't clear, but the prayer of the beginning of verse 4 gives us a clue. Restore us again, is what all the translations say. But in actual fact, the appeal is more simple and direct than that. Turn us back. Turn us back round again. That's what the psalmist asks God to do. There's the third reference to turning. Because what is needed is not so much restoration as reorientation. 
Somewhere along the line, somehow, they've turned away from God. And sometimes we can do that deliberately. We turn our back on God because we don't want his will, we want to go our own way. We think we know better, or this way is going to be more fun and more enjoyable, and God's ways appear restrictive, or we just get fed up with doing what God wants us to do, and we kick over the traces. We choose to go down a certain path, even though we know it's going to take us in the wrong direction. And sure enough, eventually we find ourselves in a place where God is nowhere to be seen. At other times, we just become distracted. Other priorities grab our attention. We haven't rebelled against God. We haven't deliberately turned our backs on him. We just wandered away a bit. All the pressures of Christmas can do that so very easily. And after a while, we begin to realise that we're not in a good place. Not in the right place. And it's then that we need to pray with the psalmist, Lord, turn me back to you. It's a prayer of dependence, recognising that actually we need God's help to change the direction of our lives and get us back on track again. And we need God's help because repentance, that reorientation of our lives back to God, that's not something we can do by our own will, our determination, our own desire. We're in trouble in the first place because we've not been strong enough. We've not been good enough. We've been swept along by forces more powerful than ourselves. Without God's grace, we cannot turn ourselves around. It's as if we're stuck in tram lines and we can't change direction. But repentance, that capacity to change, to reorientate ourselves back to God again, that is God's gift. That is God's grace. And sometimes the first prayer of faith can be, Lord, turn me back to you. Turn me around again, because I can't do it. I'm just stuck heading in this direction, and I can't see a way of getting off the train. I can't see a way of getting off this motorway. I'm just heading, and there's nothing I can do about it. Lord, stop me. Turn me around. Get me facing the right way again. I'm powerless to do anything about it myself, but Lord, would you reorientate me back to you? And then that prayer is followed by another appeal which we find in verse 6. Here's the fourth reference to turning, though it's often lost in translation. Will you not turn and revive us again? If it's a prayer that God would turn us back to himself, this is a prayer that God would turn and face us again and give us life. Show us his favour. Because it's when we are facing God and when God is looking upon, faith, upon us with favour, in that reconciliation, it's there that we find life and joy and peace. When God has turned into himself and we know that he, he's looking upon us with grace, that is where life and peace are to be found. So there is an appeal in verse 7 that God would once more show his unfailing love and grant us his salvation. And then because, because prayer is not just about talking to God, it's also about listening to God, the psalmist stops praying and waits for God's reply. I will listen for what God has to say. And when that reply comes, it's peace. God's word of peace. God's promise of peace. God speaks peace to his people. And God's word is powerful, it's creative. When God says peace, that's never an empty word. His word generates the peace he speaks of. His word brings that peace into our lives. When Jesus says, peace be with you, that's never wishful thinking. 
That's the blessing of God's peace upon you. So stop and listen and let God speak his word of peace into your heart, into your life, into your situation. May God's peace be upon you and within you in this coming week. But notice too that this promise of peace comes with an appeal or maybe it's a warning in verse 8. God promises peace to his people but let them not return to folly. And that's the last reference to turning in this psalm. We begin in verses 1 to 3 with God turning around the fortunes of his people and turning away from his anger towards them. Then in verse 7, because they'd lost their way, we find an appeal for God to turn his people back to himself and for him to turn towards them again and give them life. And then in verse 8, we find God's promise of peace, but it's a promise that comes with a note of caution. Yes, God gives you his peace. But don't turn away from him again. Don't go back to that road which leads to stupidity. (laughs) Whatever wrong road it was you were walking down, once God's taken you off it, block the access route to it with a no-entry sign and ask God to keep you facing the right direction. Lord, lead us not into temptation is the ultimate prayer of dependence upon God. Having turned back towards God, once God has answered your prayer and turned you to himself, don't don't wander off again. Having turned back towards God, don't make the mistake of turning away again. Keep focused on God. Keep orientated towards God. Keep moving towards your Lord. Because God's road, God's road is the road of salvation. And that leads you through territory characterised by good relationships with other people. As you walk along God's path, you see love encountering faithfulness. Righteousness and peace greeting each other with a kiss. God sorts out all our relationships, our horizontal relationships with each other, drawing us close together in love and in faithfulness and righteousness and peace. And on the vertical dimension between heaven and earth, faithfulness springs up from the earth and is met by righteousness looking down from heaven. Our land yields a harvest of faithfulness because God gives us what is good, as he most certainly does. And in all those connections between love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace and faithfulness and righteousness and goodness, that's what God's word of peace encompasses and what it brings to us. And right at the end of the psalm, we see God himself coming to us. In his righteousness, he doesn't just look down on us from highest heaven. He doesn't send his goodness to us remotely by some delivery agency while he himself remains distant at arm's length. At the end of the psalm, we see God himself coming with righteousness going ahead of him and smoothing his path. We catch a glimpse here of John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. We catch a glimpse here of Jesus coming to us, God himself coming in the person of his son, bringing us his peace in person. God does not give us empty words. He comes to us as the word made flesh. That's what we celebrate this Christmas time. Christ himself is your peace. And as you welcome Christ into your heart and life, you receive his peace as well. Sometimes actions speak louder than words. We'll be celebrating communion shortly, using bread and wine, or actually it's grape juice, symbols of the body and blood of Christ. 
But in this bread and wine, Christ comes to you in peace. And the act of receiving the bread and the wine can itself symbolise our own acceptance of Christ. So if you've wandered off the path, this is the time, this is the place to say, God, turn me back round again. God, turn your face towards me. Lord, give me new life. Lord, speak your word of peace into the chaos of my existence. And in the act of receiving the bread and receiving the wine, to welcome Christ, the Prince of Peace, into your heart and declare that he is Lord. Prepare to come to communion. Can I invite us to sing together what wonder of grace is this? In a moment we're going to be sharing communion together, but it's called communion because it expresses our fellowship with God and also with one another. So it's at the Lord's table that we receive people into membership. And membership is is open to anyone who feels that uh, this is the place where God has called them to serve, this is the family God wants them to belong to and they're committed to loving God and serving him. For those who believe in Christ, and they're committed to this fellowship, we encourage you, we welcome you into membership with us, sharing the responsibility of the life and the work and the mission of the church. And we're delighted this morning we're going to be welcoming Janet into membership with us. Janet, do you want to come and join me at the front? If Claire wants to come as well, then that's fine. Lovely, thank you. Janet comes from St. Cavisham in Reading. Uh, many years as an active member of the Methodist Church there. She's moved to live with Claire and wants to make a commitment to a church fellowship in a new home. So Janet, bless you. Thank you for joining us. Okay, three questions to ask you, if I may. Okay, do you reaffirm your faith in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, having found new life in him? I do. And do you believe God has called you to be part of this Baptist church? I 
And do you commit yourself today to love and serve the Lord in partnership with us, with us here in Horsham? Fantastic. Bless you. Thank you. Can I invite you as church members, if you're a member here, to stand, please? And can I ask you, do you welcome Janet into the family of God in this local church? And do you commit yourselves to love the Lord with her, to serve Christ alongside her, to pray for her, to support her, to encourage her, and, and to welcome her at every point when she's with us? If so, would you please answer? We do. Then Janet, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and on behalf of this fellowship, it gives me great joy to welcome you into membership with us. The Lord bless you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Fantastic. We're delighted to have you. Can I invite everybody to stand, please? And we're going to pray for you. Lord, we stand together in your presence. And as we welcome Janet, we thank you for the welcome that is in your heart for her. Thank you for a lifetime of service. Thank you for the love you've placed in her heart for us and for the love we have for her. Grant her your peace, we pray. Thank you that she's, she's living with Claire and that that's a great place for her to be. May her, her time there be one of contentment and strength and joy, and may your love fill her heart. May she be a great blessing to us, and may we be a great blessing to her. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Can I invite the deacons to join me at the table, please? Thank you. This cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a sharing together in the blood of Christ? And this bread which we break, is it not a sharing together in the body of Christ? We who are many are one body because we all share in the one bread. Can I leave us in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the way which you bind us to each other and to you. In a covenant relationship. As we declare that you are our God, you declare that we, we are your people. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness to us, your faithfulness to us, your commitment to us, your grace towards us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that even though we fail ourselves, each other and you, you forgive us. Where we have taken the wrong path, would you set our faces towards you again and bring us back to where you want us to be? Thank you that your word to us in Christ is salvation and love and grace and peace. And Lord, we receive that. And we seek to renew our trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you held nothing back. You entered this world to be born as a baby knowing that the path ahead of you would lead to the cross. Thank you that in your broken body there is healing for us. Thank you that as your lifeblood was poured out in death, there is life for us through your sacrifice. We are everything we are and all that we will be to you. And we thank you for this bread and wine, all that they mean to us, all that you mean to us. And as we eat and drink and receive the bread and wine, may we know that we receive you, your love, your grace, your peace, into our lives and hearts. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Body of Christ, given for you. We do this because the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his friends and said, take, eat. This is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So at Jesus' invitation, we receive the bread and we eat it, thanking God that he died for us, thanking God for the fellowship we enjoy in his love. And if whatever faith you have, you're seeking to put in Christ this morning, take the bread. If you come knowing you need forgiveness because you've gone wrong, take the bread because it's God's grace and forgiveness to you. You are welcome at this table. Jesus welcomes you. And we invite you, should you wish to do so, to share in the bread he offers. If you don't, just let it go by and don't be embarrassed about that. But this is an expression of God's grace, the body of Christ, given for you. And you are very welcome to share in the bread. We eat as we receive it. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. We keep the cup so that we can drink together as a sign of our fellowship in Christ. Christ gave his life for us. Christ shares his life with us. The blood of Christ was shed for you. Thanks be to God. In 
the fellowship of the communion table, can I invite you just to name before God people who are on your heart asking for God's grace and peace to be with them. You might like to mention them silently in your mind. You might like to say their, their names out loud, just their name, so that we can pray for them together and commend them to God's grace. Lord, in love, we commend to you those whose names have been mentioned out loud and those we carry in our hearts. We commend them to your love, your grace, and your mercy. Release in them your healing peace, we pray. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who loves us and who gave himself for us. Amen. So can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together our closing hymn, By Faith We See the Hand of God.
Take your encouragement from Christ that your joy may be complete. We will share in the Spirit. We will find consolation in love. Practice a ministry of, compassion, of humility and compassion. For God is at work in you, empowering you. We will welcome Christ into our hearts. We will live lives worthy of the gospel. We will go forth in love and in peace. Amen.